You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. I want to talk about the fact that there is no what? Greater love. We started this um, subject and we'll conclude it today about the love of God again. A couple of years ago, um, preached a sermon series called Learning Learning to Love, in which we looked at the love of God more comprehensively. But in this particular context, it's, it's looking at the love of God as part of his goodness. Amen. And so when we talk about what is God like, amen, we need to know what God is like so that we could worship him correctly so that there are no errors that we make theologically or practically when it comes to who God is and understanding what God is like affects your worship your work and your walk everything about the Christian life that's fundamental comes from your view of God and we we spent some time talking about the greatness of God amen and we looked at many of his attributes. I believe we looked at 12 of his attributes, not a exhaustive list, but an exemplary list. And we talked about the greatness of God. And then now uh, we moved on to talk about the goodness of God. And one of the things about the goodness of God, as I told you, he's immeasurably good and immutably uh, a good. And I, I can't think of the third one right off the top of my head, but we talked about the, uh, the uh, goodness uh, of God as well. And so um, intrinsically good. Amen. And so we talked about uh, the goodness of God and, and the goodness of God is going to express itself in some things that we are talking about in these next few weeks. And the first of them is the love of God. And the last time we were together, I told you three things about the love of God, and I'm going to tell you a fourth one. And I told you the last time we were in some theological high grass, amen, when you talk about the love of God. And I told you that God's love reflects a supreme intention. And what that supreme intention is the intention that God has always revealed about himself, which is his glory. Amen. God is always concerned about passionately his glory. And I told you last time that love was a glory aid. Amen. Meaning that uh, the reason that God uh, loves you or has expressed his love for you is with his glory. Come on, somebody in view. That's why the scripture says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short for the purpose for which we're designed. You cannot give God glory as he intended, and I can't either because of sin. And so his love compels him to, compelled him to send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for sin that you might be in a in a place where you would no longer be in sin, but you would be clothed in righteousness, and that means you would be in a place to give him what he's due, which is his glory. All things are for his glory, and the motivation uh, for him revealing that is his love. I told you as well that his love reflects a supporting integration, and what I meant by that and what I mean by that is that God's love is not uh, to be considered in a vacuum. God does not suspend his other attributes to exercise love. 
we're in a place now where people are trying to theologically conclude because God is love, that means at the end of the day, he's not going to punish everyone for sin. He can't because he loves. He loves me, and that is so true. But God's love is a holy love. God's love is a pure love. God's love is a just love. And all of God's attributes work together, and so they support one another. So he doesn't suspend one in order to exercise another. And so what do I mean by that? That means that God is holy. That means that when he looks at sin, he cannot stand it, and there has to be a payment for sin. There has to be because he's holy. There has to be because he's pure. There has to be because he's righteous. But because he is loving, he not only says that there has to be a payment for sin, he makes the provision for sin. And so he gives to himself what he requires from himself. That's love. Amen. He didn't leave us hanging with just his holiness and his righteousness without making a way for us to be in relationship with him. And it's because of his eternal love and his desire to see us be in a place where we could do our job and give him his glory. He says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. My love is a holy love. My love is a just love. I'm lovingly just and I'm lovingly holy, but I'm also it's a just love and a holy love. And then I told you that God's love represents a superseding intervention. And that's when it started to feel a little closer for you and me because it's really characterized by those two words that we see in Ephesians chapter 2 and 4, which is but God. Amen. But God. But God. Some of us were out, but he brought us in. But but God, some of us were down and he brought us up, but God. And I, I told you some other things about, about being where we were and God reaching to us in that, in that place and being able to intervene for us. It was like we were dead in trespasses and sins and that we were born the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace we are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that through the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast but God as I said we were naughty by nature but God amen and he brought us to a place where we would no longer have to express ourselves purely in our, in our uh, naughty nature, but that we would be able uh, to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and be pleasing to him and give him glory. And so today I want to just talk a little bit about God's love in terms of this last point, which is God's love reveals a superior interaction. There is a superior interaction that comes with the love of God. In, in, in Ephesians, I messed around and turned from where I was supposed to be. That's my bad. Y'all going to be all right, though. Uh, Ephesians, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love this passage. 
I love this passage. You should be getting goosebumps when you look at this passage. Because the Apostle Paul says, I want you to be able to comprehend or even, even apprehend. I want you to reach, reach out and grasp along with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height that is to know that that is the love of God. And he says, and to know that love and know meaning to experience it for yourself. And he says it this way, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of Christ. He's saying it's going to be a mission that you're not going to be able to accomplish. This is mission impossible. This is mission impossible to understand the height the breadth the depth and the width of the love of God he said oh but you got to try you got to try because directionally that'll help you in, in terms of your walk and your worship and your work and that you might be filled with all the what fullness of God and so before we get to those four the height and the breadth and the depth and the width that's right there in Ephesians 3. I just want to tell you just three more things about the love of God before we get in, into those that aren't in the passage, but, 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 but they, they, they bear witness and they, and they bear mentioning. And the first one is you should understand and I should understand. And again, this is where if you, as Pastor Holder would say, write this down if you're writing things down. I used to love when he would say that. That was always his signal. Okay, I'm getting ready to give you the sermon points. So write this down if you're writing things down. The love God has for us is universal in its appeal. Amen. It's universal in its appeal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that only a number of people. No, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That scripture reminds us that the sacrifice at the cross of Calvary that God made on our behalf was sufficient for all, but it's only efficient for those that believe. But the appeal is a universal appeal. The love of God has is that he has for us is universal in its appeal. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says you wouldn't even know what love looked like if you didn't see what God did through the person of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. And that's why you have to grasp the love of God. That's why you have to know the height and the depth and the width and, the, and, the, and, and all of it, because that will allow us to be in a place to actually love like we're supposed to love. And we cannot love like we're supposed to love unless we understand what God's love looks like. So God's love is universal in its appeal. The second thing God's love is it is undeserved in its commitment. It's undeserved. And what do I mean by that? I mean that your actions and my actions don't justify God loving us. Romans 5 and 6 says it this way. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. Insert your name there. That's, that's where your name goes. The ungodly, that's you. The ungodly, that's me. That's me. In a place that, that, that we, we were when God demonstrated his love towards us. And now while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for the ungodly. But I love how it says it in the NIV when it says, you see, at just the right time. You don't think God is an on-time God? He is an on-time God just at the right time, on time, in the nick of time. He did what he did so that he uh, was able to demonstrate love to those that were unlovable. The only thing that's lovable about you and about me is the image of God that resides in us, that he put in us, and he put that image in us so that we might reflect his glory. Amen. And we've already let him down by being born into sin and shaping in iniquity. And he still says, even in that condition, I'm going to love you to the point where you can renew and be uh, revived so that you might be able to do your job which is stop falling short of my glory. So the love of God is universal in its, its appeal. The love of God is undeserved in its commitment. And the love of God is unchanging in its focus. It's unchanging in its focus. It is for you. It is to you. It's for your good and for his glory. That focus does not change. God's love is to you and it's for your good and for his glory. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I told you, and you can look in John chapter 17 and see in verse 4, I believe it is, and verse 25, Jesus establishes in his high priestly prayer that he had two things with God before the world began. He says, I had glory restore to me the glory that I had with you before the creation of the world. So there was glory. And he says, and the love in verse 25 that you, that you had for me before the creation of the world. God did not start his love program when he created you and created me. God has been in a love relationship with himself since before the world began. Amen. Who was the object of his love? Jesus Christ was the object of God the Father's love. Who was the object of Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit? All of them were in an eternal love relationship, and they just allowed, the, the God allowed us, the three-person God, the, tri, the tripartite God, allowed us to get in on his love and get in on his glory. The best thing that, uh, that he ever did was, was it, it would seem to be selfish that he would say it's all about me, but in this case, it's actually true. It is all about him and the most loving thing he could do is say I want to create some creatures that can bask in my glory Tony Evans said it this way when God created man he just went public with his glory and it's unchanging in his focus it is to you for your good and for his glory now right there in the text in Ephesians 3, we want to be able to say, now, what is the, the height and the depth and the length, excuse me, the breadth, the depth, the length, and the height? I will say it this way. God's love is unmerited in its application. God's love is unmerited in its application. Amen. That's really dealing with the depth. 
of his love. How low will he reach? How low will he go? Will he go down low? All the way to the Come on now, y'all, y'all trying to pretend like that. Come on now, why, why would you hesitate? You knew you wanted to enter that. You know you wanted to insert that. How low will he go? Will he go down low all the way to the flow? Yes, he will. He'll go down that low. That's the depth of his love. It is unmerited in its application. That's why I love Hebrews 7 and 25. He says he is able to save them to the uttermost. That come to him, or as Pastor Marvin Winans would say, from the utmost to the gutmost, Jesus saves. Amen. He'll reach all the way down low. He'll go as low as he needs to go to get to you, to get to me. Why? Because it is unmerited in its application. And that's why it says, and hope does not put us to shame, it says in Romans 5, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He has given us. You see, at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are not excited enough about what I'm talking about because you don't think that you were that far gone and God had to reach down that low. Trust me, he did. But his love allows him to reach down that low to grab you and to grab me, to meet us where we were and bring us where we need to be. But just you understand when you're talking about the love of God and keep in mind all of this love of God, God is desirous that you duplicate. Okay, so it's going it is already hard to be talking about a love that's universal in its appeal it's, it's undeserved in its commitment, unchanging in its focus. Now we're saying that we're supposed to love like God loves it's unmerited in its application. We only like to love the people we want to love. The people that we like is the people that we usually love. But he said, no, you got to you got to go down low. How low do you go all the way to the flow? Because it's unmerited in its application. How low will he reach? Hmm. It's also unconditional in its embrace. Starting to get tight. It's starting to get tight. Unconditional love? We don't usually love like that. And, and unconditional in his, in his love is really talking about what is the breath of his love. It's unconditional in its embrace. It's how wide a net will he cast? How wide a net? A, the breath of his love. How wide a net will God cast? It is unconditional in its embrace. You and I don't typically love like that. The way we love is we like to say, I love you. This is, this is, this is, yeah, there's probably three things we probably do. I love you because. I love you because you do what I say. I love you because you, you, you make sure you, you follow what I've already set out that I really like to have happen in this relationship. And as long as you do that, trust me, I will keep loving you 
But the second that you stop doing that, come on, somebody. Now, now I, the best example of this kind of love would be, you know, it's not really friendship love. The, the love that resonates the most with us is that, that marital love. This is, this is where the conditions can come up and the problems can surface. I love you because. And if you stop the, the because clause that's after that, then we're going to have a problem. I love you when. Amen. I love you. I love you when. And then my personal favorite, I love you as long as. Now, we try to be a little bit more unconditional with our children. This is just my, than then we typically do with somebody else that you're in a volunteer relationship with. Amen. Friendships, you'll be you'll dismiss somebody like that. Look, I can't I can't stand her no more because she doesn't do this, she doesn't do that, she's not a good friend, I don't love her anymore. We give the most latitude, I suspect, to our children, but even they even they over excuse me, even even they over years and years. They could end up being, I don't know, like 28 years old. And then they can run out. It can cause you so much angst and trouble that you might say, I I don't want to love you anymore. (laughs) It's not true. That's my that's my baby over there. Um, (laughs) But but again, that that's that 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 love is that conditional love. I love you as long as I love you because I love you when you do things. I love you because of your looks and your possessions or the car that you drive. And if you lose your job or you start to get older and you don't look the same or you go through a little rough patch and you put on some pounds and all of a sudden you got a pot belly or this happened or that happened, I just, I'm not feeling you anymore. That's how we love. But God says God's love is unconditional in its, in, its embrace and he casts the widest net possible. The apostle Paul says, I want you to understand the breadth of his love. I want you to understand the depth of his love. And then he says, I want you to understand the length of his love because the love of God is untiring in its effort. It's untiring in its effort. When we think of love, um, there's typically, where'd this go? Sorry. All right. When we think of love, we, you know, there's there's several words in the Greek that uh, dis- describe love. The one we're probably most familiar with is eros, love. That's that kind of sensual, sexual kind of love that expresses itself usually with with some with, with some physical intimacy that that's eros love and then we're also probably familiar with that word in the greek which is phileo which is a friendship kind of love again the city of philadelphia is the city of brotherly love that's phileo philadelphia and so again to have that friendship love we're familiar with that as well uh and then there's this other kind of love in greek called storge and that's really the family kind of love that's that parent and child love so eros or phileo or storge but the love 
the Greek word for love, as you well know, that best describes the love of God is what? Agape love. Agape love is the love that uh, is most, that, that word is used, and it's the highest form of love. And that's the word that's used when it talks about God loving us. Agape love is a, is a selfless love. Amen. It's selfless. That's why it says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he what? Loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So again, there is a love that, that, that he has demonstrated and he, and he, initiates excuse me the love relationship the agape love is a selfless love it's a sacrificial love that's why he sent his son it is a sustaining love that's why in romans 5 that in the scripture that we already read it says that the love of god has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us amen God gave us the Holy Spirit in part so that we might be able to keep the love thing going. Amen. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit instruct you. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit abide with you. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit pray for you. The Holy Spirit is going to do whatever he needs to do in residence in your life so that you might be able to duplicate the love that I have shown you. And you might be able to duplicate that with other people. And so God's love is a sustaining love. Why? Because he gave us the Holy Spirit, Spirit to help us to sustain it. And I love this too, the love, uh, the agape love and the love God, it's a satisfying love. In Psalms chapter 90, the scripture says, oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may be rejoice and be glad all our days. The love of God is a satisfying love. Agape love is a satisfying love. I love it because it is a serving love. As demonstrated in John chapter 13, you remember that passage of scripture when Jesus rose up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and he girded himself. And after he poured water in a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had. Again, the scripture says when he was he was completely comfortable and he knew he had all power and everything was 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 in his possession. That's when he got up. And he began to serve. He served with confidence because he knew who he was in in God. Amen. He knew what he was getting ready to do. He knew what God had placed in his heart to do and who he was and how the father loved him and gave him all power. He says now in that place, you don't lord it over your, your, your servants and others. He said at that place, you go low. When the world goes high, you go low, and when you go low, you serve, and you start washing feet, and you start letting people know that love looks like service. Amen? That's why a husband is called to love his wife, and he's called to do it as a servant leader. Amen? Not as a lording leader, but as a what? Servant leader. And this last thing about God's love or agape love I really like it says it's selfless and sacrificial, sustaining, hmm. satisfying, serving. But the love of God is safe. Because you could say every time I start loving somebody, I get hurt. 
I'm tired of risking my love. I'm tired of putting my love on the line every time. I don't care if it's a friend. I don't care if it's a romantic relationship. It could even be with your parent or with a child. Every time I love, I get hurt. It's so much so that I, I, I agree with Felipe Wynn from the Spinners that says it takes a fool to learn that love don't love nobody. Come on now. When you're little, you don't understand that song. I was like, why is he so sad? Why is he saying love don't love nobody? But you get a little older and you put your love on the line and you get your heart broken, whether it's romantically or in another relationship. And then you get a little older. And when that song comes on, you start singing it just like Felipe. And you got all kind of you got all kind of riffs and runs you'll do. And they say it takes a fool to learn that love don't love nobody. It takes a fool. To learn. Okay, maybe it's just me. Y'all ain't never sang that song with any passion? Thinking about the person that you just broke up with in eighth grade? When I broke up with my eighth grade girlfriend, I cried and I was in my room and I told my mother, I don't think I will ever find love again. She said, I think you probably will. It'll be okay. I was like, it's not okay. I'll never fight. It takes a fool. But the love of God is safe because first John tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love, but you can be made perfect in love. And there is no fear with God's love. Amen. It's safe love. It's going to be a love that will be rewarded. It's a love that will be returned. And it's actually not even going to be returned. It was already initiated by him. And you're just responding to the perfect love that he established already. Amen. And so agape love, that's the kind of love, that's the, that's the length of his love. It's untiring in its effort. How far will he go? He will go all the way. It's an active love. He went all the way to Calvary. It's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. All of those things are true when you talk about the love of God. So understanding the breadth and the depth and the length and last but not least to understand the height of the love of God. And to me, that means it's not a question of how wide a net will he cast or how low will he go or how far will he reach. It's a question of what won't he do for us? What won't he do for us? And that means that the love of God, last but not least, is unbroken in its ministry. Ooh. It's unbroken in its ministry. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything? 
to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, who is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're just not as excited as you should be about the love of God being unbroken in its ministry. The apostle Paul says it's neither death nor life. Now you're talking about what's unavoidable. He says he can love you through the unavoidable then it's like angels principalities and powers he can love you through the unseeable amen and then it's the things present or things to come he'll love you through the unknowable and whether it's height or depth he can love you through the unreachable and any other creature that's the unimaginable so again the love of god whether it's unavoidable or unseeable unknowable or unreachable or unimaginable the love of god is unbroken in its mystery nothing can separate you from the love of God which we have in Christ Jesus our Lord that's the love that God has for you that's the love that God has for me God's love reveals a superior interaction the way he gets down when he loves is so good and we're the beneficiaries of it aren't you glad today that there is no greater love than the love of God. And ultimately, in one phrase, this is what the love of God says. I can reach you. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you. That's what God says. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you. Why? Because God's love says, I can reach you. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, my love will reach you. And when my love reaches you, my love can keep you. And when I keep you, I can sustain you. And I can do it in a safe way so that you'll never have to worry about love again. Because I'll love you with the perfect love that will cast out all.